tonight. At this global event, this universal stage, whose storied past is rivaled only by the promise of an even bigger future. Millions will watch from around the world, waiting, anticipating for that next breathtaking moment. The stage is set. The time is now. History is at hand. This is WrestleMania. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to WrestleMania Salvation, Episode 3. It's the big one. It is WrestleMania 3. I am your host. My name is Sal. You may know me from the voice of the voicemail on the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, or maybe you've become a fan of this show, WrestleMania Salvation. Either way, today I am excited. I am ready. This is a big deal. This was the WrestleMania, the standard bearer for a number of years. WrestleMania 3, live from Pontiac, Michigan, in the Pontiac Silverdome. March 29th, 1987, with a tagline of, Bigger! Better! Better! Pay-per-view buy rates, an estimated $10.3 million. And of course, this event, with the record-setting attendance of 93000 173 people. Now, that attendance number has come under fire in recent years. People claiming that the real figure was more like 78,000. But here's the deal. Especially when you're comparing it to WrestleMania 2 or anything else at the time. I don't care if it was 78,000. I don't care if it was 80,000. I don't care if it was 93,173. When I watched this WrestleMania, it was packed to the rafters and the people were loud. And you know what? That's all that fucking matters. The actual number can be debated until the end of time. But the bottom line is that people were very excited for this WrestleMania. And people came out in droves to see it. Why? Why are people coming out in droves and setting records for this pay-per-view? Well, that's simply because the World Heavyweight Champion Hulk Hogan will square off against the undefeated for 15 years, Andre the Giants. Now, Vince McMahon has gone on record to claim that he felt the spirit of his father when he walked out there to welcome everybody to WrestleMania three. And I'm sure, as a promoter, his father would have been very proud that Vince put on this event. We are introduced to the wonderful Aretha Franklin, who will sing America the Beautiful. She does a fantastic job, as only the Queen of Soul can. And this time, for this WrestleMania, we have a normal commentary team of Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse the Body Ventura. Tonight they will be joined on and off by the incomparable and hilarious Mr. Baseball himself, Bob Euchre, as well as the lovely Mary Hart. Jesse Ventura decided today he was going to win a snakeskin pattern leather jacket. Goes with the sign of the times, I'm sure. After all, they are, are in Michigan, they are in Detroit, the Detroit area, I should say. And Alice Cooper's going to be there. So let's get ready 
to rock and roll. We begin with match number one, and we head down to Howard Finkel. However, even for WrestleMania, everybody gets the job entrance today. Ain't got no entrances for the first match. We have here a tag match to start the night with Rick Martel and Tom Zink. Yes, that Tom Zink of WCW fame. Known at the time as the Can-Am Connection. Not to be confused with the Cam-Am Connection of Cam Zagami and all good Anthony Green of local New England wrestling fame. But that's another story. Those guys weren't even born in 87. Just in case you wanted to remember how old you were. The Can-Am Connection will be going against Cowboy Bob Orton in the magnificent Morocco with Mr. Fuji. Gotta love Mr. Fuji in his classic bolo hat. Now, one thing I noticed right away about this WrestleMania is it's really got a stadium appeal. It feels like a big event. Last year at WrestleMania 2, specifically at the Nassau Coliseum and the Rosemont Horizon, it just felt like another dark, dimly-lidded wrestling show. It just felt like a regular show. This, for the first time in the history of this podcast, this feels like a WrestleMania. Now, the tag match goes off pretty good. Nice tandem offense from the Z-Man and the future model, Rick Martel. Gorilla Monsoon says that Cowboy Bob Orton is a technician in that ring. And he has, and I quote, excellence of execution. Something tells me that that name's going to stick for someone else. But definitely not Cowboy Bob Orton. Now, we did get a funny spot in this match as Morocco does the flare turnbuckle flip and then backdrops his own partner for some reason because mass confusion. All in all, it was a decent match. Martel gets the pin with a flying crossbody off the ropes because, hey, it's 87, and that's what they did. We move on to match number two with Billy Jack Haynes versus Hercules. And I want you guys to know he is announced as Hercules. We are less than 12 months removed from last year's WrestleMania, and he has already lost his last name. Although, occasionally, Gorilla and uh, Ventura, more specifically, will reference him as Hernandez. But that's besides the point. He doesn't get a last name anymore. He does, however, get a nice fancy chain that he wraps around his neck to make him look so strong. He is with, of course, the manager of managers, Bobby Heenan. This match is billed as the Battle of the Full Nelsons. Apparently, Hercules does a Full Nelson. Billy Jack Haynes does a Full Nelson. Bobby Heenan issued a challenge on, um, I think, Saturday Night Main Event and had anybody try to come out and break Hercules' Full Nelson. Billy Jack Haynes came out. He almost broke it, but then... Uh, Bobby Heenan kind of blindsided him. They attacked him. He beat him up. Here we go. This is the catalyst for the the match at WrestleMania. Now, for this match, we actually get entrances. And lo and behold, here we go. This is the first match where the competitors come down to the ring. And the little cart! The little ring cart! Oh, this thing is so classic. They need to bring it back. They really do. 
Now, both these guys, I gotta say, are built like fucking brick houses. We're talking 6'5", 280, muscles upon muscles. Billy Jack Haynes, little known fact, was trained by Stu Hart. So you would think he would have a long, illustrious career. Yeah, not really. This match, though, was just a throwaway. It ends in double countout. They're outside, they're fighting. Haynes traps Hercules and the full Nelson. Unfortunately, they're on the outside. The ref's count's going on, so we they both get counted out. Bobby Heenan decides to interfere and knees Haynes in the back with a knee. So then Haynes chases Heenan around the ring, but Hercules nails him with the chain. Now, here's something that's very important in this sequence. As Haynes starts chasing Bobby around the ring, we can see as he's running, he uses his right hand and grabs something under the wrist tape on his left hand. When he gets back in the ring and Hercules busts him with the chain, we once again clearly see Haynes blading pretty much on camera. They gotta learn how to blade without being seen so obviously maybe they're just not used to working on live tv but god almighty that was blatant i could tell and i'm sure if i could tell that the masses could tell as well as as far as anybody who's uh who's a longtime wrestling fan and haynes bleeds a ton like there is blood he's busted wide open as gorilla monsoon would say which is fine you know Hercules leaves with his heat. Now, if you want to talk about throwing together matches, oh boy, this next match. The man who main evented WrestleMania last year, King Kong Bundy, is teaming with Little Tokyo and Lord Littlebrook. That's right, they are little people wrestlers. They're going against Hillbilly Jim, Little Beaver, and the Haiti Kid. So it's a mixed tag in the sense that uh, Big's got to fight Big's and Little's got to fight Little's. Hey, that's the way it was described to me. In a pre-taped interview, Bundy promises to squash Little Beaver and the Haiti Kid. Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre joins the commentary team. Uh, Minis get in the ring. They get some action. And uh, they do the little robo maneuver. If you don't know what that is, it's, it's, it's funny. It's a funny little spot. Euchre makes a comment, and he says, I think there's a lot of little beaver all over this place. Yep, that's what he said. Crowd comes alive when little beaver tries to kick Bundy in the leg, and Bundy slams him and then drops an elbow on him. Immediate disqualification. Bundy's partners, Little Tokyo and Lord Littlebrook, are pissed at Bundy attacking Little Beaver so everybody turns on Bundy. It's it's kind of sad. This is the guy who main evented WrestleMania 2 and he's in a complete throwaway match and not even managed by Bobby Heenan anymore at this point. So Heenan dumped him. He was like, oh, fuck out of here. I'm not dealing with that shit. And I don't think Bundy's career or his star is going to rise much more than it did last year. I think that was kind of the pinnacle. Everything else is just fodder at that point. Now, Mary Hart is backstage. She tries to interview Miss Elizabeth, but she is immediately cut off by Randy Savage, who insults Mary Hart and forces her to leave, which I find pretty funny. Match number four is a match pitting 
the King Holly race against the Junkyard Dog. We get a nice little video package that explains the history of this feud. And we are told that the loser of this match must bow down and kneel to the winner. Now, mind you, King Holly Race versus the Junkyard Dog. Oh, God. I'm reminded of a game that they play on the Nitromania podcast, which is called Is This Racist? And I have a very bad feeling that it's going to be. We go to a pre-tape interview with Gene Oakland. He is with the king and queen of wrestling, the king, Harley Race, and the queen, Fabulous Moolah. Moolah says she will hold the crown for the king, Harley Race, so that Junkyard Dog may bow to him at the end of the match. We get comments from JYD who's fired up, and he's going to show Harley Race who the real king is. Now, one thing I picked up that was really funny is that when Race comes down to the ring in the little ring cart, they're playing what we know today as Jerry Lawless entrance music. Proving that most of the entrance music that we have grown up on is recycled to shit and has been used for about seven other wrestlers prior to the guy it stuck with. But, I will say, uh, it is a nice touch to see Harley Race come out to Lawless music. Decent match. Uh, Junkyard Dog starts the match chasing Heenan right into Race. Who takes out? Who takes over the advantage? Uh, Race loses the advantage though when he tries a headbutt from the apron to the floor and misses. That's right, headbutt from the apron to the floor. Completely missed it. Ouch. Then we get a controversial ending. Harley Race hits it belly to belly and gets the three count, even though GYD pretty much kicked out before three. Even the commentators mentioned it. His shoulders were not down. Referee didn't see it, I guess. God knows what the referee was looking at. Now, Junkyard Dog indeed bows to Harley Race. Kind of mockingly does it. But then as Harley Race is parading around the ring and, and celebrating, Junkyard Dog nails him with the chair that he was sitting on. Crowd goes nuts over this. They love themselves some Junkyard Dog, as we established before on this podcast. And here's where, the, here's where he gets the crowd. He puts the robe on, and he leaves the ring with Harley Race's robe. And Harley Race is throwing a bitch fit. It is pretty hilarious. I will say that. Very decent spot on that. We go to another pre-taped interview. As Vince McMahon himself interviews the world heavyweight champion, Hulk Hogan. Hogan says all he has to do is beat a 7-foot, 500-pound giant. But Andre, on the other hand, has to beat all of Hulkamania. A task very difficult for anybody to accomplish, let alone one man, even if that man is a giant. I gotta say, Hogan's intensity in the 80s, and of course, he still carried that intensity throughout his career, but his intensity in the 80s, I feel like, is, is fueled uh, times 10. I don't know if it's cocaine, I don't know if it's steroids, but his eyes are always popping out of his head when he's doing these interviews, and I can literally see the blood coursing through his veins, which is great for the time period, but it really does got to make you wonder just how roided up he was. Moving on to match number five, we have the Rougeau brothers. That's right, Jacques Rougeau, the future Mountie, Ray Rougeau, 
the current French-speaking commentator on WWE pay-per-views. What's that, 34 years later? 30, 30 years later? Versus the Dream Team again of Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Greg the Hammer Valentine. Now, for some reason, which will be explained in a little bit, they also are joined by Dino Bravo and Luscious Johnny Valiant. Dino yells at the Rougeaus in French, and I have no idea what the fuck he just said. Brutus comes down to the ring, and he literally looked like he stole his wardrobe from David Lee Roth. Almost the exact same outfit Roth wore when he went solo and he released his first video. That's what Brutus the Barber Beefcake is dressed like tonight. Now, Bobby Heenan, during this match, comes to the announcing booth, which is a preview of his career later on, uh, and he is just so pumped up, screaming into the microphone that tonight's the night that he will manage a world champion and that Hulkamania is dead. Bobby Heenan soon exits the commentary booth, which really distracts me from the match, not that the match was really that good. The one thing I did pick up from this match is even though the Dream Team won, Dino Bravo and Greg Valentine are too busy celebrating with each other, and they leave Beefcake, and he's just there by himself in Luscious Johnny Valiant, and everybody else leaves with the ring cart, and Beefcake's like, what about me? But, but what about me? But I thought you guys liked me. So obviously, Dino Bravo and Greg Valentine are now falling in love with each other, and apparently... Valentine just left Beefcake for Dino Bravo. That, that's what I gather from that. Now we go to a classic 80s concept. We get a hair versus hair match with the adorable Adrian Adonis versus the retiring Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. That's Rowdy, R-O-W-D-Y, Rowdy, R-O-D-D-Y, Piper. Because apparently, my Boston accents has those two words sounding very similar. We get a nice little video package of Adonis on Piper's Pit, and we get reminded about 17 times within the first five minutes of this segment that this is Piper's last match. This is his retirement match. He is done after this match. Win or lose, he is leaving the WWF. They literally pound this into our fucking brains. And I guess it was because he was going off to make movies. He, he starts making uh, Body Slam, and Hell Comes to Frogtown, and quote-unquote, They Live. Uh, I only know Body Slam out of those three. But they make it a point to say, hey, this is Piper's last match. And to that end, Piper is super over. He is, uh, he is adored by the crowd, pardon the pun. But Piper spends as much time in this match beating up Jimmy Hart as he does Adonis. This is literally like the whole match. Um, nothing really of note here other than, you know, it, it's it's huge comedy. It's a uh, big fat Adonis, you know, trying to get the advantage of Piper. And it's Piper, uh, you know, comically bumping him around the whole time. Now, Piper almost passes out to Adonis' sleeper hold, which ironically is called Goodnight Irene. But Adonis releases the hold and starts to prematurely celebrate before Piper's hand drops for the third time. And, of course, Piper's hand does not drop. It does somewhat stay up, breaking the referee's count. Uh, and Brutus, who was nowhere near this match, 
uh, all of a sudden jumps into the ring and wakes up Piper and gets him and gets him up in, in, in conscience. Piper then locks Adonis in the sleeper and passes out. Now, one thing I thought was really interesting is that in the pre-match promo, Adonis is holding garden shears. And, and he's like, I'm going to give Piper a haircut. And I'm sitting here going, you know, that's Brutus Beefcake's gimmick. Why does he have the garden shears? Well, fast forward to the end of this match, as Brutus has helped Piper win, they both jump in the ring. Brutus celebrates with Piper, while Piper shaves Adonis' head. Brutus grabs those legendary barber shears, which I'm assuming are now his. He's just like, I'm going to take these, and this is going to be my gimmick. I'm going to be a barber from now on. So I guess that's where the gimmick started. He helped Piper shave Adonis' head, and all of a sudden he was Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Now, one thing I also noticed, the amount of times they brought up that this was Piper's last match, and the fact that Brutus turned here, and he had the face turn, and then he attacked uh, Adrian Adonis, which, by the way, Adonis... Greg Valentine, Dino Bravo, all Jimmy Hart guys. So obviously this is Brutus against uh, Jimmy Hart's, you know, stable. But I think that's why they kept bringing up that Piper was was leaving. is because they needed to transition the feud from Piper and Adonis to now a babyface beefcake and Adonis. Well, that makes sense. Now, here's something weird. Jesse Ventura has left the commentating booth, and he has insisted on being introduced to the live crowd. While he's being introduced to the live crowd, Gorilla Monsoon hypes his upcoming movie, The Predator, which explains why he's being introduced to the live crowd, because that's basically what they're going to try to do, is just push that movie. And the next match is a tag team title match, and it is a classic bout, especially with the people involved. Stampede Wrestling comes alive as the Hart Foundation with recently suspended referee Danny Davis versus the Bulldogs and Tito Santana. Now, I apologize. This is not a tag team title match. This is a six-man tag so that Danny Davis is actually involved in this match. And it's hilarious because his outfit is like a referee's jacket, but it's like turned inside out. It's freaking hilarious. Danny Davis was banned from refereeing for 10 years because of how he hasn't held up the integrity of the position in the past few months leading up to WrestleMania. However, I feel like that ban probably lasts like three months, because I'm pretty sure he comes back to refereeing rather quickly. Now, during the match, Gorilla says that Bret Hart has that excellence of execution. He's close. He is the excellence of execution, but I'm sure he has excellence of execution as well. Hilarity ensues when Danny Davis gets tagged in and puts the boots to dynamite and then immediately tags out. Crowd boos the shit out of him, which is fine. Tito finally gets his hands on Danny Davis, beats him down, and the crowd loves it. Cheap pop. Davy Boy spikes Danny Davis with a jumping tombstone pile driver. Jesus fucking Christ. You gonna break the guy's neck? Bulldog hits the power slam, but Anvil breaks up the pin. Chaos ensues. During the chaos, Jimmy Hart, of course, tosses the megaphone to Danny Davis, who nails Dynamite. It's the second WrestleMania in a row that man has taken an unprotected headshot. He gets the quick pin on Dynamite to pick up the win. And he gets super heat. He gets booed right out of the building. 
We get a short little pre-tape with Bobby the Brain Heenan and Andre the Giant. And Heenan, of course, promises again the death of Hulkamania. Match number eight. This is a fun little match here. We got Coco Beware with Frankie. That's right, that little parrot. Versus the natural Butch Reed. So before Dustin Rhodes was a natural, there was the natural Butch Reed. With Reverend Slick. I remember that guy. That guy was hilarious. Uh, really quick match here. Uh, Butch Reed wins with a handful of tights. That's about it. Nothing, you know, kind of just filler, I guess. After the match, Slick tries to beat up Coco with his cane, but out comes Tito Santana, who beats up Slick. So Tito Santana's role in the 80s is apparently a mid-card babyface who just likes to help everybody else. I haven't seen him in one meaningful feud yet. The next match I'm going to talk about is match number 9. And this was the infamous match for the Intercontinental Championship between Macho Man Randy Savage and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. A pre-taped video package shows us that leading into this feud, Macho Man got most of his heat by severely damaging Ricky Steamboat's throat, his trachea, one of those storyline deals. I will admit, the uh, the video package was nice here. It really, it really told a story of why Steamboat has so much hatred for the Macho Man. And Macho Man plays his role perfectly well. Now, I gotta tell you, I enjoyed this match. It was a fast-paced match. It was a good match. Um, I didn't enjoy it as much as many other people have. I know that people have called this uh, match of the century, definitely match of the 80s. And, you know, I thought it was good. I feel like I have seen much better WrestleMania matches, which hopefully we'll get to in this podcast down the road. For all the hype behind this match, the match went 14 minutes long. And it had a spot in it where the referee was knocked out and Savage hit the elbow and had Steamboat pinned for about 30 seconds, but there was no referee to count. Now, I have an issue with that as a longtime wrestling fan. I don't feel like that's a spot that should be used for a heel to get screwed out of the win. I also think it makes Steamboat look weak, the fact that you know he, he was pinned, he was beat, he was done. Uh, and only interference by George the Animal Steel would cause Steamboat, uh, you know, cause a distraction to allow Steamboat to get a roll-up for the win. <sighs> I get the fast-paced match. I get the uh, the work rate these two put in. Uh, you know, for, for the time, I thought it was really nice because obviously there was a lot of pinfall attempts in the 14 minutes. So it kept everybody's head on a swivel. But... For me, personally, not not my favorite match. Like I said, it was a good match. I don't hate this match. I just think a lot of people over the years have hyped up this match as the be-all, end-all. And I can think of a lot of WrestleMania matches that were better. And just to put it in the context of this time period, uh, I'd enjoy Steamboat and Flair match more than I did this. You know, for maybe it was the backstory with Steamboat and Flair, but I thought this match was, uh, like I said, it was good. But when people put it on that pedestal, it's unwarranted, in my opinion. Feel free to disagree. Everybody is entitled to their own opinion. That's why we love wrestling, because we can all form our own opinions about it. Next match I want to get into on this WrestleMania is the Honky Tonk Man with Jimmy Hart versus Jake Roberts with Alice Cooper. 
That's right, Detroit's own Alice Cooper. He's looking to uh, rise his star a little bit in 1987 by showing up at WrestleMania. Video package of Honky Talk Man bashing Jake over the head with a guitar in what was his talk segment, The Snake Pit. Backstage interview with Gene Oakland, and Alice Cooper says he's here to keep an eye on that sneaky little Jimmy Hart. This match is fine. Honky Tonk Man takes a methodical pace, uh, showboating. At one point, he challenges Alice Cooper to get in the ring as he's laying a beat down on Jake. Jake turns the tie with an inverted atomic drop. He goes for the DDT. He signals for it. He goes for it. But Jimmy Hart grabs Jake's foot to prevent him from hitting it. Jake turns around distracted by this, which allows Honky to roll him up, pull the tights, and get the one, two, three. Now, Honky Tonk Man gets the fuck out of Dodge as soon as this happens. And Alice Cooper and Jake Roberts corner Jimmy Hart. Jake holds him in a full Nelson. And then Alice Cooper grabs Damien out of the snake bag. Crowd is going nuts because Jimmy Hart is deathly afraid of snakes. So we got a funny little sequence here where Jimmy Hart is very concerned. He's squirming. He's squeaming. Finally, Jake Roberts throws him down out of the full Nelson, takes Damien, and throws him on top of Jimmy Hart to Jimmy Hart's ultimate nightmare. He squirms. He runs out of the ring. Honky Tonk grabs him. They run away, and Jake and Alice Cooper celebrate to end the segment. This was fun. You know, wasn't going to be a classic five-star match or anything like that, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. Next match, the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov with Reverend Slick versus the Killer Bees. But first, Mean Gene Oakland comes out to make a special announcement. Gene announces that tonight they have set the all-time record, indoor attendance record, at 93,000. 173 people. He invites the Michigan crowd to give themselves a big hand as we are all part of history. Now, there have been a lot of reports. I mentioned this earlier. It wasn't exactly 93,000. Who cares? The place was packed to the fucking rafters. Now, Nikolai Volkov is in the ring. He's going to sing the Soviet national anthem. He starts to sing it. He's getting booed mercilessly. And out comes Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Are you fucking serious? Hacksaw comes out. He's got an American flag bandana. He's got a black t-shirt and jeans. He looks exactly like Bruce Springsteen, except for obviously not as good looking. Hacksaw's got his trademark 2x4, and he's even got a little American flag taped to the end of it. Oh! The commentators fill us in and explain that Hacksaw promised that Volkov will never sing that Soviet national anthem on American soil again. Because, fuck those commies! The Killer Bees, in case anybody didn't know, are B. Brian Blair and Jumping Jim Brunel. These guys, uh... These guys look imagine exactly how you would picture them with yellow and black stripes everywhere. The match is basically a throwaway. I mean, it's a little bit of action, and then as soon as one of the Killer Bees gets caught up in uh, the camel clutch by the Iron Sheik, 
Duggan runs in and cracks the cheek with the 2x4, causing a disqualification. Now, to be fair, Duggan was chasing around Nikolai Volkov outside the ring. Nikolai ran in the ring, which is the only reason why Duggan was there. He saw Iron Sheik sitting back on the camel clutch, and he just decided, hey, what the fuck, I'll just nail him with the 2x4. Duggan cuts a very interesting promo here. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If you don't want to play by the rules, neither do we. And understand one thing. There's a new spirit in America. And you can hear them say it. USA! And of course, the crowd, like a bunch of fucking mocks, starts chanting USA. You know what? Not for nothing. I guarantee fucking to you, they would still do it today. Because patriotism! Yeah! Now we've come to the main event of the evening. The match that people built WrestleMania around for years. Gina's backstage with Andre the Giant. And of course, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Bobby's got a big shit-eating grin on his face. And Andre simply says, he's going to the ring, and it's not going to take him too long, but he's going to take care of Hulk Hogan. He's going to come back, and he's going to come back with that world championship belt around his waist. Now, not for nothing, but who the fuck is Andre Kidding? That belt ain't fitting around his waist. You could have two belts in time together. It ain't fitting around his waist. Bobby Heenan acts like he's about to cash in a winning lottery ticket. Literally, without any shame, is like, I'm finally going to be the manager of a world champion. We shall see. The video package gives us the history of Trophy Gate. I call it Trophy Gate because it is when Hogan was presented with a giant trophy for being the champion for three years. Guess what? That's not a thing, but they made it up. And Andre was given a little shit participation award trophy for being undefeated for 15 years. And Andre literally looked at the trophy and looked at Hogan's trophy like, the fuck, are you fucking serious? However... We are told that it was Bobby Heenan that got in Andre's ear and convinced him that he should be the world champion. We go back to Piper's pit, and Andre shows up and says that he's here for one reason, to challenge Hulk Hogan for the world championship at the WrestleMania. Hogan is all distraught. He can't believe it. Andre, no, this isn't happening. And they're building it. It's not that he's scared of Andre. But that they were such good friends. How could this happen? And Andre signifies his heel turn when he takes Hogan's shirt and his crucifix and rips it off his body. Dramatic stuff. Roddy Piper gets in Hogan's face, even though he's a semi-baby face at this point, and says, will you accept Andre's challenge? Will you fight him at WrestleMania? Yes or no? And Hogan says, Yes! We quickly go backstage with Gene Oakland before the match, and he's with Hulk Hogan. The world champ says he's not worried about the 93,000 people in the Silver Dome. He's worried about those 90,000 people outside of it. Because what you gonna do when the whole city of Detroit quakes when he brings the giant down? Great, so fuck everybody in the arena, but everybody outside, that's who he's worried about. 
Got it. We go to the ring with our special guest ring announcer. It is Mr. Baseball himself, Bob Euchre. Euchre introduces the timekeeper, Mary Hart. Little ring cart brings Bobby Heenan and Andre to the ring, and they get trash thrown on them. Hogan stomps the ring as Ring American pumps through the speakers. It's an iconic moment. I mean, you feel it. You feel the energy when you're watching this of the 93,000. You feel everybody anticipating this match. They get in the ring, the bell rings, they have a stare down, and Gorilla Monsoon says that classic line of the irresistible force meets the immovable object. Now, I'm not here to lie to you people. I'm not going to sit here and tell you this was a five-star match and there was a bunch of technical holds and escapes back and forth, back and forth. No, that's not what this was. Andre was severely hurting at the time. You know, his disease was getting the better of him. He was in a lot of pain. So the match was methodical. It was slow. It was prodding. But it told a story. It told a really great story. You know, Hogan, right off the bat, starts punching Andre. He tries to lift him up and slam him. But of course, Andre's way too fucking heavy. So Hogan gets him up about halfway, and then Andre falls right on him. Splat! Splat part two. If anybody remembers WrestleMania 2 with King Kong Bundy. Hogan barely kicks out at two. Andre is starting to beat Hogan like a drum. And Hogan goes into full cell mode. He's like, oh, 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 like only Hogan can. And the one thing that, (laughs) the one thing that got me is when Hogan's lying flat on his stomach, Andre steps on his back. Now, usually the big giants that do this will hold the ropes, kind of ease a little bit of the pain. Andre steps on his back in the middle of the ring and holds it there for a good three seconds. I was like, whoa. I understand, but I, I understand that they, they, they know what they're doing. Let's put it that way, but I don't give a fuck, dude. A 525-pound man standing on your back. Heenan screams instructions at Andre to continue the punishment. Hogan sneaks underneath the strike and starts laying into the in the punches in the crowd's delight. But Andre ends the hope spot quick with a boot to Hogan's face. Andre locks him in a bear hug, and Hogan's struggling to breathe. Ref checks Hogan's arm. It drops once, then twice, but not a third time. And the crowd roars. Hogan begins to feel the energy of Hulkamania, and he punches his way out of the bear hug. But despite two big shoulder blocks, he can't get Andre down. Andre kicks Hogan in the gut, and Hogan tumbles out of the ring. Andre attempts to headbutt Hogan, but Hogan ducks, and Andre's head hits the post. The most offense he's gotten on Andre of the whole match. This stuns Andre, allowing Hogan to expose the concrete. For some reason, Hogan pulls up the concrete, the uh, the mat around the, the ring. Hogan attempts a pile driver. That's not going to fucking happen. And Andre awkwardly uh, backdrops him onto the mat part of the outside. Andre throws Hogan back in the ring. Hogan sends Andre into the ropes and attempts another boot. But Hogan evades it and nails Andre with a big clothesline. And the Giant goes down and the crowd fucking explodes. Giant goes down. Heenan's trying to check on him. Andre's all confused. He can't believe he went down. And then Hogan starts hulking up. And as Andre gets up from the clothesline, Hogan... As 93,000 people are going crazy, picks up the giant and body slams him. 
and the fucking roof explodes. A quick leg drop follows it up, and the one, two, three, Hogan has beaten Andre the Giant. Bob Euchre gives us the official announcement as Hogan thanks the guy upstairs. The little ring cart brings a distraught Heenan and a very pissed off Andre back down the aisle as Hogan poses for the crowd. Flash bobs going off all across the stadium. And we get a few fireworks, or at least we hear them, as the show goes off the air. Now I gotta tell you, obviously I know about Hogan and Andre, and I believe I've seen the match in the past. But when you watch this match, and you feel that crowd, that's why I said it doesn't matter if it's 78,000, it doesn't matter if it's 93, that crowd's energy for this match was so over the top that you knew, you knew that Vince promoted this and did this match right. And I gotta tell you, I don't care if I'm a mark, I don't care if I'm back to being a Hulkamaniac like I was when I was 8 years old. This is a match of the night for me. Nothing even came close. The energy that match had, I haven't seen in a long, long time. Now, on the other side of the coin, the worst match of the night. The worst match of WrestleMania 3, the match that had no business being here, was the six-man tag with King Kong Bundy and his two little partners versus Hillbilly Jim and his two little partners. It's bad enough that the match basically had a non-finish, but the whole fucking thing was dumb. I mean, come on. This isn't the Carney circuit in 1962. This is mania. You guys really had to have this match? For what? It's a waste of time, in my opinion. Thank you, everybody, for joining me on this ride. I really enjoyed this one. I really did. Had a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to the tournament at WrestleMania 4. I'll tell you guys that much. Check out all of the shows on the Questionable Endeavor Network especially the other shows on the Rundown feed, including the Rundown sit-down set to come back in November, NXT Revisited, where Troy goes back and watches old, original episodes of NXT before the network, Nitromania, where we review Nitro in its infancy, and the flagship show, the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, hosted by Jason Stewart and Troy Bozen. Follow everybody on their respective Twitter and Facebooks. And definitely follow at RealistTommy on Twitter. I heard that guy's pretty funny. For us here at The Rundown and for all of us in the wrestling world, thank you and good night.